It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. A big, big podcast because it's not your mama's Christine podcast. Welcome, everybody. Not your mama's Christine podcast. The Christine podcast. Don't take something seriously. I am your host, Shane, here with Eric again. Touchdown. <laughs> I was waiting for that part. <laughs> you wanted me to sing the whole chorus? Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for the touchdown oh, part. yeah. Okay, here's what's interesting about today. You yeah. already know who's on because it's on the title. Um, so last episode with our with Dan Cook and Dan Coke. Oh, did I say Dan? Yes, Dane Cook. Yeah. <laughs> know what? We should we should get Dane Cook on for next week. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> how it works. We're prophetic. <laughs> I don't know if anyone knows, but last week we talked first really quickly about Mark Stewart, Audio Adrenaline. We're talking about uh, Jameson from the Godspeed podcast, and they had him. Um, and we were huge Audio Adrenaline fans back in the day. Audio Adrenaline, DZ Talk, and Newsboys yeah. were the three three bands we got. That was, we, a, that was my first introduction to music. Yeah, the existence of music. No, my first one was Carmen, <laughs> Champion. <laughs> and I remember like mom and dad listening to Petra, taking us to a Petra concert. Yeah, but the first one I was like, oh, this is like me. Yeah. It was Audio A. DC talk. talk and kind of newsboys, um, <laughs> not as much newsboys, but a little bit. Um, and so last week we talked about how um, we had Mark Stewart. I was like, no, we're gonna we're gonna have Mark Stewart next week. Yeah, and we were joking. Totally we were joking. joking. And then after we were done recording, I was like, well, I mean, he didn't release a book. Why not just contact him? Yeah, I'll find out who his press is, and and we're a we're a podcast that comes through. Right? Yeah, yeah, we come through. <laughs> so in the we're clutch. like, let's just let's just shoot him an email. Um, so I figured out. Um, so I found found out his contact. Emailed him and a week later he yeah. gave one. <laughs> so it was it was a uh, we were how ex- how excited were you for this? this? Is really cool. Like <laughs> it was it was a really cool experience. I mean, because I I don't know if if all of our listeners are audio adrenaline fans. I know that they're older now. They haven't been around for uh, well at least with Mark Stewart. They're still a, kind of around, but it's like nobody in the original band. Yeah. Um, but since Mark Stewart was was in the band, it's been like ten years or something like that. So I realize that if you are a younger listener, you may not know much about Audio Adrenaline. But and here's what you and if you go back and listen to some of their stuff, and Mark even talked about it in the podcast that some of their songs were cheesy. Like he he said, Big House was cheesy, and he didn't like it at first. At yeah. first, yeah. Um, and and he realizes that. But like, what you have to understand is if you go back into the '90s, and there are not there's not a lot of cool music for the Christian world mm-hmm. for people our age there was like 80s striper and uh none, um, and none that Petra were like because there were some good christian bands but like they were so underground like yeah tooth and nail was started yeah. at that point but it was so underground there was not like You're an obvious like Zayo and those sort of bands. yeah even like plank eye even earlier than that but there wasn't any obvious ones right. that the church could like get behind that was like oh this isn't like this is actually like something that we can grab onto. Yeah, at least for us, it didn't feel that yeah. way. When today, it's music is so easily accessible, right? Back in the early '90s, how how would you find? We didn't even have the internet. Yeah, like I, the, I mean, the internet was created, but it's not like it was in every home, let alone in every pocket, right? Yeah. So, like, how do you find out about bands? You would go to the store, uh-huh. and if you lived in a Christian home, like we did, with parents who didn't want you to listen to certain things as kids, yeah. Then you would go to the Christian bookstore, yeah. and you would buy CDs or cassettes. It tapes, started out tapes, tapes. <laughs> and and you would get stuff that way. So like to find an underground band was impossible for us. Well, and we're kids at that point. Yeah, I, I mean, we're talking. I was. You were born eighty. You were born eighty five. I yeah, was born yeah, eighty seven. So I'm talking like seven, eight yeah. years old. Like 
like when you're first discovering music and for, and discovering music for yourself. Right. Like, I remember going to the Christian bookstores and finding "Don't Censor Me" tape. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so, so yeah, the and first... buying it and not even knowing any of the songs on it. Yeah. Because there's no way was for good. you to hear it. Yeah. yeah. You would buy it and you'd be like. Well, they're selling this, and this looks like it's kind of what I would like, maybe. And so you would buy it and take it home and be like, I hope it's good. <laughs> I remember this is a little further past that, but even, and I kind of semi miss these days. I remember going to FYE while I was on my break at the mall. <laughs> at Sabaros. We at both Sabaros. Sabaros. Yeah. I would go on my break, I'd go to FYE, and they would have like a stand where you had like six or seven CDs that you could uh-huh. just listen to it. And I would listen to them, and I would be like, after a song or two, I decide, okay, I'm going to buy this album or not. Yeah. I, Further Seems Forever was one of the bands that I discovered through listening to a yeah. random thing. So I'd buy the CD. And back then, you'd buy the CD. And no matter whether you liked it or not at first, you put the time in because you bought it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, where now, it's like people tell me a new band. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll check it out. And I listen to three songs. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. And then I don't go any further because I can get any, it's, I'm not investing into right, it. Right, right, right. So we're, we discover Audio Adrenaline at a point where we're... we're very much in the in the church culture and songs like Big House and Get Down or like Right yeah. in the Wheelhouse because especially when we're younger. And then as we get older, like songs like Oceans. The ocean Floor. Ocean Floor. Yeah, no. Ocean Floor. That Oceans is Hillsong. Yeah. <laughs> ocean Floor is still good. And Ocean Floor was before Oceans. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> like if I listened to that song this week preparing for this interview. And I was like, it still yeah. holds up. Like, yeah. This is still a really good song. Like the Bloom album that they had, yeah. we were talking about beforehand, that's like Third Eye Blind. Like I love Third Eye Blind still. Yeah. And and that album is it's along those lines. It's the it's 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 alternative rock and it's good it's good music. So like for us to be able to interview Mark Stewart was really cool for those reasons. He and and as we talk about the other bands, really f- formed our music taste at a young age. And and our and our spirituality and in our a lot spirit, of ways. Yeah, for real. Which like, is way more important. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that aside. The music part. No, but think about the times that our faith grew the most. Mm-hmm. It was at festivals like Creation. Yeah. Who was one of the headliners every year? Uh, audio Adrenaline. And we couldn't wait to see Audio Adrenaline. There's other headliners like that. Uh, I won't. I, there's other other ones that we didn't care about, right? Yeah. Um, but Skillet being one. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about our... Our but opinion of audio A was always one that we're like we're we're definitely yeah. <laughs> going to see him. Um, yeah, so it was. I, I remember when, when I found out this is happening. I told like people at our church like, "Hey, did you listen to Only Drilling back today?" And depending if they were, grew up mm-hmm. in church, if they grew up in church, it was always yes. It's like we're, I'm interviewing the yeah. lead singer. He's like, "You are, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah." And his book, which which um, I we read. Um, what's interesting about his book and what I found a lot of people didn't really know uh-huh. is that Mark Stewart lost his voice like literally it was gone it he would be singing and it would be cut and it would, it would seem like the the mic just got cut off but it was his voice that was going so he kept pushing and pushing and pushing to a point where he was doing damage to to his yeah. to his vocal cords um he would get steroid shots because his throat would be swelling and um he would get those shots to get the swelling down so he could sing but your throat is swelling oh because gosh. it's trying to protect you um so he had to stop because he physically could not sing anymore yeah so a lot of, I, I don't not everyone knows that so um he has a really interesting story with about redemption and finding another calling when your calling's taken away and, cl- and his life was falling apart during certain times with his marriage with his voice everything and so it was really cool to talk to him and just pick his brain about 
mm-hmm. the music industry, Christian music industry, plus yeah. just audio adrenaline stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was a really cool opportunity for us. So let's get to our interview here with Mark Stewart. Skits for with like audio adrenaline songs. Uh-huh. What was it? Nice. What was our group called? Uh, Lions of Zion. Lions of Zion. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> I remember. Uh, never gonna be as big as Jesus. Uh-huh. We did yeah. it, and all these different people were acting as other stuff, and I got to be you. I was like the lead right. singer of the band. Yeah, yeah. I've done you proud, man. I remember practicing in the mirror in like fifth grade. <laughs> That's <awesome>. classic. <laughs> but yeah, um, we've probably seen. How many times do you think we've seen All Your Drilling? Close to 10 times in, in concert through... Because oh, we, we're we in Baltimore, Maryland, so we're close to Creation Festival. Okay, cool. So yeah. we grew up going to Creation every year. So you guys awesome. were there every year, and we saw you in so many different different other shows. But Audio Adrenaline, your first album was in 1992, right? Around there, early 90s. Uh, 91, I think. 91. So 90, I think it was 91, yeah. Okay. So give us some insight into just how Audio Adrenaline came together and uh, and how it came to be what it blew up to be. Yeah, it was kind of a freaky thing. Um, and I, I know you guys have read the books. So you're probably a little privy to some of the inside information mm-hmm. already. But mm-hmm. basically, we were in Bible college. I was going to go to the Air Force Academy to be a mission aviator. Mm-hmm. Or I was going to be a fighter pilot. I thought I was going to be a fighter pilot. <laughs> anyway, um, I love Christian music. Um, I heard Petra. My friend got saved yeah. at a Petra concert. And I was like, man. But I, I really thought it was kind of uh, too much of a whimsical idea or kind of a dream for me. It, to me, it was easier for me to be a fighter pilot to mm-hmm. be a Christian musician, a yeah. successful musician. <laughs> so I didn't trust God. But anyway, I went to, I went to college. We started playing music. And um, people started digging it, and we, we we did okay regionally. And then I decided to, you know, after going to Haiti to be with my parents, I decided that music was what I was supposed to pursue mm-hmm. in terms of ministry. Um, and the the crazy thing is, we were a rock and roll band for a long time. Uh, that was that sounded similar to what you would hear off of the Bloom record or later albums with Audio Adrenaline. But our first our first bit of success with a record label that got any attention was a rap metal song called My God, <laughs> which was a bit of a joke, really. <laughs> kind of, we, we were just messing around with Bob Herdman's poetry, and we, we did a song, and that's what the song that got us a record deal with Forefront. Wow. Um, so we went to Nashville and got signed, and they're like, okay, we, we want you to be a, a rap metal band. And we're like, but we're not. <laughs> that was, I don't rap and I don't have any hair, you know, like a <laughs> hair band. 
but they pushed us, you know, to, to be experimental and be the next kind of heavy metal or hard rock version of DC Talk, basically, mm-hmm. is what they're looking for. And we spent two albums just experiencing or experimenting and kind of humiliating ourselves mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to figure out what we're supposed to do. Um, and, uh, and then eventually we stumbled onto the song Big House, which was a guitar kind of a guitar based song that blew up. And then that allowed us to become a rock and roll band again, which is what happened in the bloom record. So that's kind of how that happened. Yeah. So audio adrenaline really was a a kind of a side hustle or a Mm -hmm. joke that Mm -hmm. kind of blew up and got, gave us a record deal, but then we had to recreate ourselves underneath that name as a rock and roll band again. And I, I found crazy. Um, I found it very interesting some of the backstory of Big House because yeah. you even talk about how it kind of starts in Haiti, which is a big full circle to your story. Yeah. So so give us some of the background on how that song, which my kids have been singing all week since we're preparing for this. Um, <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, right on. give us some background on on Big House. Yeah, Big House. Um, well, my parents are missionaries. Uh, about my sophomore year of college, we'd already started a band called A180, which became Audio Adrenaline. But I was in the middle of a faith crisis. I was like, I, my parents left the day after I graduated high school to, to move to mm. the day after high school. I lived Goodness. in a car <laughs> until college started. Um, and on my friend's couch and stuff like that. But I was so deeply challenged at Bible college, I wanted to go to Haiti and just to kind of like figure out my own spiritual journey. And I kind of wanted to talk to my dad about some stuff. But it was there while I was in Haiti that I heard these kids singing this song um, and it was a, it was a song called Father's House. So they they did the song. It was like, "Come, do you want to go to my father's house? There's joy, joy, joy." And I was, you know, not too young to pick up on the irony of these kids who had nothing, no house, pretty much at all. M- many of them, their dads were gone, or what? You know, it was rough. Mm-hmm. Singing about the promise of a heavenly father, and it just was profound, you know, profoundly affected me as a kid, as a teenager, and I was like. I took that with me back to college and that became, um, you know, kind of the genesis of Big House. Mm. That along with a Bill Gaither song from back in the day, I used to do in in a puppet show. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, it's funny because as a kid, I was afraid of the concept of heaven because Mm. it just felt very cold to me and very, um, not liturgical, but just almost just dead like the idea mm. of golden streets and like an eternity just freaked me out so yeah. i would lay in bed all night long as a kid like i don't want that mm. that that to me sounds incomprehensible and something that just doesn't sound warm and inviting but at at, at a point in my life where i was like okay i, I believe heaven's gonna be more like home than like a golden cold perfect you know, like Disney World that I don't really want to go to. Mm-hmm. But I think it's going to be a house with food and a table and all my friends. And, yeah. you know, I wanted to write a song that kids could could relate to about the promise of heaven. So that coupled with this idea that was kind of blown up in Haiti, looking at this kid's song, was what, how, you know, the lyrical concept of Big House came about. And then on top of that was Barry Blair, his guitar riff, which was, amazing and we put it all together and we wrote it on the way to florida in a car hmm. um and that's kind of how that song came about 
and and you never thought that it would get you to this point, right, where it would just blow up like that, right? That would just oh, I thought the song was horrible. I was like. <laughs> I was like, this is so cheesy. I'm like, this shouldn't be on the record. And uh, I was not really very aware of what a, you know, a hit song was. especially you know, So I'm like, this is goofy. And then my dad heard the song. I played it for my dad. And um, you know, sometimes you, you take what your dad says. You're like, eh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like, okay, he, I'm going to listen to this. He goes, that's your hit song. He goes, that's your biggest. Mm-hmm. That song is going to be massive. Mm-hmm. So wow. I'm like, all right. We kept it on the record, and it blew up. Wow. And we didn't know how big it was going to be. And we were going to be dropped right before that record. Mm. Uh, Toby Mack went to the label and said, you, you should keep them for one more album. Give them one more shot because our first record didn't do that good. Mm-hmm. And when that song went to radio, it just started to become a phenomenon. Mm. And then our label didn't even know what to say. They were like, they brought us into a room and they go, do you know what's happening? And we're like, no, are we get sorry, my finger's annoying. Okay. <laughs> Um, and they're like, you're selling 30,000 records like a week right now. Oh. <laughs> and we're like, is that good? And, like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, even better than that is we were, I think we were on tour with DC talk on the free at last tour and an entire like 10,000 seat arena mm-hmm. would sing. The, you hit the guitar riff and the crowd would go bananas. So to experience what a hit, like a true hit song was, was, insane it was so mm. cool wow that's that's really cool and like it brings it brings me back to, to our childhood but uh but yeah. so you touched on on this a little bit with the the music industry and yeah. we hear about how difficult the music industry can be in general but then if you add yeah. in the christian music industry and what they want you to look like and how yeah. they want you to sound like and, a like a rap metal band <laughs> yeah right yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so were that was there frustrations on your end at, with the christian music industry at that point or throughout your guys career yeah, I would say yeah. There, there's definitely, but I think it's just the music. I don't. There's two different layers to that. Mm-hmm. So there's the music industry in general, which is very templated. Um, first of all, so if you're an artist and you're trying to be creative as a musician, you're really going against the easiest path forward to be successful. Mm-hmm. The easiest path forward to be successful is to do what's popular. And to sound like somebody else mm-hmm. or whatever's hot on the radio. But if you, back in the 90s when Christian music, Christian rock music had its own, there was a, there was a scene, a Christian rock actual music scene. Yeah. Like it was the fastest growing music genre of any genre. Mm-hmm. So we had the, we had the, uh, the bandwidth to experiment and people would connect with our music not just because they heard on the radio, because they bought an album and they identified with a sound that was different. Mm-hmm. Um, it was uh, edgy, aggressive, or lyrically it took chances or whatever. Um, but th- that's the same across the board. N- mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's v- very hard for any band to really create anything outside of what the boundaries are for Christian radio. So that that's one issue. But I, I guess to answer your question... You know, for us, we came to a point where we really don't want to do this unless we can mm-hmm. be rebellious or be a mm-hmm. little bit on the edge because it's just not worth it. 
There's yeah. not enough money in it. I can mm-hmm. go do something. I can go be a missionary. Yeah. Uh, so if we're gonna if we're gonna travel around and pee in Gatorade bottles in the back of a pickup, <laughs> that's what we did in a box truck yeah. for five years. Yeah. If I'm gonna live this life, I'm at least gonna do it the way we want. We feel like we're supposed to do it wow. instead of just being a, a templated band. And because of that, I think kids connected. And back then, you could do that. Today, in Christian music and even in secular music, it's much harder mm-hmm. to break through um, because there's so many bands out there. Yeah, there's a bunch of iconic bands that still exist at the very top level, secular and Christian, and then there's a bunch of bands that people connect with uh, in their own like kind of scene. Mm-hmm. But as far as big breakout bands, it's really hard mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Like, how many new stadium packing, arena packing bands? are they're introduced not very many yeah but the ones that have been around for 10 years keep doing it yeah because they broke through when it was easier to break through hmm. <laughs> what what kind of toll does the music in- industry in general take on you when it comes to physically like especially with you and and some of your throat which you wrote in your book your relationships um and then you add on top of that that you're in the christian music industry you're representing uh, a whole re- whole religion, and now you're held to a higher standard. Especially back when you guys were in the '90s, where you almost had to be perfect in order to do yeah. that, and you were looked that way. What kind of toll does yeah. that take, just being in that industry? Uh, it's brutal. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it is brutal. Um, you're on the road a lot. Um, you're the stress is pretty enormous because you're. You know, you're trying to make it work, trying to be popular in an industry where you're looked at and like you can't make mistakes. And you know you're a, you're a, you know, the, the junk that you got in your heart, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you're walking on stage and you're trying to balance the idea of, man, if they only knew mm-hmm. who I really was, I'm wondering if they'd even be here. But at the same time, there was a, there was a beauty to that too, that you were, that, you would walk on stage going, you know, I'm not enough, but, but God is. And because of that, I, you can be fearlessly vulnerable because in that there's a, there's a beauty. But you had to walk a tightrope because if you get too vulnerable, mm-hmm. then, you know, the youth group pastor would be like, all right, we can't go see that band anymore <laughs> because they just got a little too real. Um, but that in, in and of itself, it, it does take a toll. You know, I went, I was had marriage problems. Um, and my vocal problems were all hitting at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I was in a bad place, um, really dealing with depression. I was isolating. I didn't want to be in church. The last place I wanted to be was in church because I, mm-hmm. I felt judged there, you know, mm-hmm. or I felt like I would be judged. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I would have been. Mm-hmm. I just felt like it was going to happen. So I would stay clear of church. And because of that, because of my tendency to isolate, it made things worse. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that performance-based religion that was kind of a part of my childhood and a part of the 90s, thank God, is starting to melt away a bit. Mm-hmm. But it, it does take its toll physically, spiritually. It takes its toll in relationships. And I think people now are a lot more aware of that than we were. We didn't really have the tools to deal with it. We are also young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. But it, it it can be tough, and I think it's the same thing for for a, a preacher or a pastor. Like you guys, I mean, mm-hmm. you're on stage, 
you know, it's tough and people are looking at you like, oh, you, <laughs> thank you for that. You got it together. And you're like, not really. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to communicate grace. You know, Some of the things you were saying made me think of us when it comes to yeah. just being vulnerable. Like I want to be vulnerable as I preach, but then there are times where I'm like, if I'm as vulnerable as I could be, will yeah. they look at me differently? Will they? Will they trust yeah. me? Will which, which is all my own insecurities. Mm-hmm. On, on top of that, it's preaching that. Yeah, out. yeah, I agree. And there, there's, there's even like, you know, theological things I'm afraid to share because I'm mm-hmm. like, Cal, I've seen what, even just to have an open thought and open conversations can yeah. destroy people from the pulpit, and mm-hmm. so it's tough, you know, and mm-hmm. I. I think the church could learn a lot in terms of how to communicate and conversate mm-hmm. better um, with people with different views, you know. Yeah. Um, as well, I get older, I understand that. But as a younger mm-hmm. man, I was pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I knew a lot more when I was younger. The older I get, yeah. the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know more than I ever did. Older. Yeah. 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 Well, yep. it's got to be hard from your position, too, because for us, we're, we are a part of a denomination where you yeah. are talking, especially if you're talking about theological stuff, you got every denomination oh, yeah. sitting there listening Played to you. Played for the Pope at one point, got, like yeah. everything. All over the place. That's got to be such added pressure that I did not think about until you were just talking. Like, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> yeah. It was crazy because I was from, uh, like, it wasn't a denomination, but it, it, we're basically like a Christian church, like mm-hmm. there's a bunch of mega churches that are called like Southeast and Louisville, if you know that. Yeah. But there, um, and I love it. It was a great, you know, doctrinally it was really sound, but then you start, yeah, you're, we're going on stage after a mm-hmm. pastor who's doing a healing ministry and then <laughs> over here and you know, the, you know, there's all kinds of the charismatic, yeah. conservative, Catholic, Episcopal <laughs> and everybody's throwing stuff at you and they're trying to check you to see what you really believe. Yeah. And yeah, that was a little, it, that took some people down. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you. For me, I was just like, you know what? The, it's just Jesus. We're all about Jesus here. Yeah. And these guys, even though they're bent towards this particular viewpoint and yeah, they're asking us, in a roundabout way where we stand, I'm not going to tell them mm-hmm. because that's what Jesus would do in the first place. He's yeah, like, yeah. I don't know. What do you think? You know? Yeah. So that's kind of how I took it. Some of the guys in the band would get perturbed like this can't take this anymore. <laughs> but for me, I'm like, you gotta, yeah, I started to see the bigger picture, mm. which is, wow. I don't want to create more division. I want to create more unity and, that's uh, awesome. in our speech. Mm-hmm. And I think we could do that in social media today. It's just, mm-hmm. cre- Whatever it takes to create more unity is is better. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so your career then is has taken off, and you guys are playing all over the world and doing these great things, and now your voice is starting to go, and yeah. and then it gets to the point where you you really can't sing anymore. And so right. your calling then shifts and it changes. You've had this calling with being in this rock band, and now that yeah. you feel like, as you talk about in the book, like it's being taken away from you. So where do you go from there? How do you handle that? I didn't do it well. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, for me, like I said, I isolated. Uh, I was started getting pretty depressed. And honestly, I felt like I still believed in God, all right? Mm-hmm. Probably more in, in closer to Jesus than I've ever been at that time because I was so desperate. 
However, I did not, I didn't believe God had anything good left for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let me, let me clarify. I felt like I'd already went, had my good period. Like mm-hmm. this was, and now God was going to start finding other people to do his best work. That he yeah. was kind of, like I was almost like used. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, you, you had a good run. You did okay. You did some good stuff. You weren't, you know, everything I wanted you to be. So I'm going to move on to somebody else and bless them. Mm, yeah. so, does that make sense? Yeah. So I felt like there wasn't anything left good for me from God. And I was just going to succumb to you a life diminished mm. for the for the remainder. So I started going to Haiti on short-term mission trips really to escape more than serve. And I was working with my parents because no one really knew me there as the guy from audio a or mm-hmm. I'm divorced. They just knew me as a kid, missionary kid. Yeah. And it was there. I started to forget what I'd lost. And, and really what it is, is when you connect with the poor, the oppressed or the least of these, you connect with Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. And in that divine kind of deeper connection, you start to have a bigger awareness again. My life went from small to getting bigger. Mm-hmm. And when I say small, focused on myself and what I lost to focus in on others. And then at that point, my, my heart started to turn around and God showed up and did some pretty big miracles in my life. One of them you, you read about in the book, it happened in the front seat of a Bronco was a miracle in my life. I don't even know if the book really makes it as big as it was, but I experienced a literal miracle where God showed up and manifested in the front seat of a Bronco and mm. said, I got you. Yeah. And I felt his Holy Spirit presence warmth in a freezing cold night or morning. And um, he said, I've known about this moment years ago. Mm. In fact, I was preparing for you for this moment. And I'm never, ever away from you. I'm always working for you and I have good things for you. So it wasn't really anything that I did or had like the secret sauce of like, here's how I got my life back together. Mm -hmm. It was the fact that I went to serve the poor Mm -hmm. and that God started to just speak to me and remind me of how good he was. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, for the last 10 years, no one even knew where I was, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm. Most people thought I I was dead. I think sometimes they're like, "You still around?" I don't know. <laughs> um, and I, you know, and I'm going to church in Nashville, and my best friends are, you know, for King and Country, the Mercy Me, mm-hmm. you know, Lauren Daigle, and I'm like this, and they know me because we all <laughs> tour together. But my life, you know, there was moments in the flesh where I'm like, man, God's just blessing their ministry, and they're selling out all these arenas, their platform, their Ministry is amazing, and um, I'm living in an RV. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to Haiti on mission trips. Yeah, but my when your perspective change changes from small to big, your what's significant also changes. And I realized that God, when I get to heaven, He's not going to say, "I wish you would have made one more hit record." He's going to be like, "Man, that you spent so much time with your son." Your daughter, your wife, those are the most significant things that you can do. 
Mm. Uh, it's not the big platform or the big conferences or the big festivals. It's not that. It's loving people well and mm. being a good dad and a good husband. That's and great. those are those are the Grammy Awards that are going to yeah. last forever. You know, it's awesome. You say it in your book, but um, you 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 kind of talked about how following Jesus for some people is like stepping off a cliff and they catch you in a net, but for you yeah. it was like being pushed, pushed off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And you even talk about how people would pray for your voice to be healed because this because I mean, for those that haven't read the book, think you're a famous musician and all of a sudden your only instrument is now being taken away. You can't use it. And, yeah. and you talked about how people would be praying for your voice. And after a while, you just got to point where like, I don't, I don't want you to pray for my voice to come back at this point. Right. How do you, yeah. how do you, get, so how do you mainly get to that point where you're, everything's being taken away? It feels like, and you touched on it a little bit, but everything's being taken away. But, and you're able to find this purpose. Is it just by, by going to the next step that God has laid out for you? How do you find that new purpose? Well, like, like, uh, Oh gosh, man! I I wish I could pinpoint it, but like I said, mm-hmm. for me it was just trusting him and what was next, you know. Mm-hmm. And that for me was working in Haiti mm-hmm. and working with kids. And in that, God showed up mm-hmm. and, and started giving me purpose again. Um, I, you know, some sometimes I equate um, it to. You know, God wants us in a place of vulnerability. He wants us in a place really of danger. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the American church, and especially our parents, are like, man, I want you to be a good Christian kid so you're safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. But that's the opposite of what we're really called to as a mm-hmm. Christian. Yeah. And um, especially in, the, in our society here in America, we're addicted to those comforts. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's in the moments where we're pushed off the cliff is where God becomes the most real. Um, so what I'm trying to say is God is either going to, you're either going to let go of, you know, the dock that you're tied to in your little boat mm-hmm. and go out into the deep water or a storm is going to come and take you out there. Mm-hmm. Either yeah. way, you're going to go out in the deep water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's what I learned. So I, I got knocked off. Because I was comfortable. I thought I was in control. I was never in control, but I mm-hmm. thought I was. Mm-hmm. Well, after a divorce, after I lost my voice, I realized I, I can't control anything. But it's in that loss of control that you find out how big um, and how good our God is. And then that's when the abundant life really comes to fruition. Abundance mm-hmm. isn't in comfort and mm-hmm. safety and control. The abundant life is in the dangerous out of control mm. places. And that that's what I learned. So when people say, Hey, can I pray for your voice? I'm like, I don't want to go backwards in my life. I don't want to go back to the comfort safety of being in a Christian band. I, I'm good with this. Mm. And whatever God has for me is already going to happen. So that's so cool. So yeah, praying for my voice started to get really annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, you know, first of all, I've already done that for a long time. And now, I feel like the miracle took place when God took my voice. Hmm. He it was almost like wrestling when Jacob was wrestling and he, his hip got jacked up. <laughs> I feel like that's a part of my journey. God almost physically said, boop, touched my vocal cords and yeah. said, I got something new for you. Wow. And uh, it's going to be a journey, but I'm going to take you out in the wilderness and then we're going to find a better, bigger purpose. Hmm. That's great. And because you're broken, yeah, it's going to give me more glory than mm-hmm. you. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So we know that that your time is limited. So so we'll get you we'll get you out of here after this one. So it turned into you working in Haiti and the Hands and Feet Project. Yeah, yeah. Talk talk about what that is and talk about the work that you guys are doing down in Haiti and maybe how other people can help and and be a part sure. of it. Sure. Yeah, the Hands and Feet Project started kind of out of a Hands and Feet song. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were missionaries. They were kind of back in the States. My sister got cancer, and they had to cut their mission trip short. We asked them to go back and start a ministry to the orphans of Haiti and to fight against the orphan crisis. So over the past 15, 16 years, we've been doing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, been a, it's been a burden and a, <laughs> and a beautiful blessing all at once. And those are what great ministries are. Mm-hmm. But we get to provide family for kids that have lost it lost their families and for families who are struggling or in crisis about to give up on their children mm-hmm. we get to walk with them and say hey you can keep your family together so we do a lot of job creation family preservation so the way people can help is go to handsoffeetproject.org and look uh, you can make a donation And but the best thing to do is sponsor one of our kids mm-hmm. um, it's 35 bucks a month which is you know not a lot of money you can change a life but you can also connect with that child and build a relationship you can come to Haiti and visit them and just walk walk with them. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And it's it's given me a new purpose and a new life, you know. And I love fighting for kids. I say it from stage every night. I wouldn't trade fighting for kids one day for being back on stage with Audio A. Mm-hmm. I loved Audio A. Mm-hmm. But God has a newer purpose for me now and a bigger purpose. So wow. mm-hmm. that's we- it. Mark, we um, really appreciate your time with us. We loved, we loved your book. It's Losing My Voice to Find It, How a Rockstar Discovered His Greatest Purpose. Um, and it's got to be kind of cool for you at this point because I always think of you guys and Newsboys and DC Talk from our childhood. The first tapes I ever got was yeah, was uh, yeah. Don't Censor Me was, <laughs> yeah. I think, our first one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I remember getting when we got into CDs, we got Some Kind of Zombie. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of pastors and now podcasters and all this other stuff that are that are forming the christian movement at this point around our age that were inspired because of things that you and all the other people did yeah and i don't really feel like we see bands like like you as much anymore i don't know it's just for me but like it's like it seems like it's either worship bands or i don't i don't really feel like i see that band like the, the youth group Van comes get dropped off. I don't know if you noticed that too, but um, it was just great for us to be able yeah. to talk with you about all that stuff. Ah, awesome, yeah, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Great to meet you guys. Thanks mm-hmm. for the insightful questions, and and hopefully we can do it again. Thank you for listening to Not Your Mama's Christian Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a nice review. To support the podcast, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash nymchristianpodcast. Music provided by The Revived. Check them out at therevivedmusic.com. Stay connected with us by liking us on Facebook and following us on Twitter and Instagram.